Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. My name is Jeff Ludington. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church, and you're joining me for the Questions from the Classroom podcast series. This all began when I started teaching Bible at a local Christian high school. I had all seniors, we were doing a doctrine class, and so I was asking them, what, do you, what questions do you have about your faith or about the Bible? And what I found when I asked, the, when I received those questions, that the questions they have aren't much different than the questions most adults have. Seems like that the questions they begin to have in the opening years of their faith oftentimes don't get answered. And so I began to tackle those questions with my co-host, who is not with me today, but he'll be back for next week's episode. And as we began to work through those, we found that there's some tough questions out there. Last week, I did one of those tough questions. We talked about transgenderism and, and gender dysphoria, a very common thing in culture today. And people are asking for a biblical perspective on that. In the middle of that, or not middle, but near the end of that episode, I said that there's more that needs to be said and that we might do something on future episodes. Well, in preparing for today's, one of the questions that's been asked that we're going to answer today relates to that. Today's question really asks about how to talk to people, specifically non-believers in the question that was asked by the student, but how do we talk to people about sin and repentance? In other words, how do we call people to change without sounding overly judgmental or superior? And that's a great question. When we talk about things, especially when we press into hard conversations like transgenderism or sexual orientation or, or, or other things, how do we do it? How do we call someone to repent of sin without sounding judgmental or superior? And so last week, we had a, a kind of a main idea, if you will, that, that sin, whether that's uh, ours or the world that we're born into, the brokenness of this world— has left us all broken inside. Some are broken in different ways than others, but all of us are broken. And that brokenness is described throughout Scripture as sin, the effects or the curse of sin. Gender dysphoria is just one of those. Of course, there are many, many ways that we're broken by sin. In the book that I wrote a few years ago called Frustrated, one of the chapters deals with the question, are all sins equal or are some sins worse than others? Our modern approach in the church today often treats certain sins worse than other sins. Now, when I talk about this, I'm thinking around consensual sin. It's questions like if a guy is sleeping with his girlfriend before marriage or outside of marriage or having an affair, is that the same or equal to or is it lesser than or worse than same-sex activity or something else, right? Now, what I'm not saying is that when you take those sexual sins and maybe you add sex and violence, like rape or something, uh, are those worse than others? Well, when there's a victim, obviously that's, that's bad. That's, that's worse than two consensual people having a, you know, sharing a sin or committing a sin together. Now, what I'm talking about is when we choose to sin, not, not affect a victim, affect somebody else, but when we choose to sin, are there different kinds of sin? One sin worse than another, especially when we talk about sexual orientation. There's a chapter in Romans uh, that often gets, I think, misused, and it deals with this. It's Romans chapter 1. It's late in the chapter, and I'm going to read you verses 18 through 25. 
It says, from the, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, meaning humanity. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's what's going on here. Paul is writing to a church, and he's writing to Christians, but he's writing about Christians and non-Christians in their culture, and he's talking to the Christians, to the church, about sin. And the first thing that he says is that all sin deserves penalty or punishment from God. What he says is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. There's a penalty for sin. All sin. That's what Paul is saying. All sin deserves penalty from God. Now, the second thing he does here is he gives us a great definition of sin. There's a creation-creator distinction. So let's back up. So God is creator. God is the one who created everything. God created me. He created the, you know, the, 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 the world that we live in, right? The, all that we can look around and see. And, and in fact, that's pretty self-evident. And that's what he's saying, that when you look around, you see proof of a creator. And I'm speaking into a microphone. I'm, I'm looking at an iPad. Those have creators. They have designers, creators, makers, just like the world that we live in. He said, when you trade worship of the creator for worship of something created, that's where Paul is saying we're in sin. And all of that sin deserves a penalty from God. So when we exchange worship of God for worship of anything, whether God has created it or, or humanity has created it, so it doesn't matter if it's money or if it's sexuality, whatever it might be, that worshiping a created thing is, is idolatry and, and sin, and that all that we are to worship is God. So there's two points here. All sin deserves judgment, and sin is defined as worshiping creation, not creator. And we all do that. And so how do we talk to others about sin? Well, let's take those two things first. One, we all sin. We all have sin. We all have sin in our life. We all have sin that we're wrestling with. We all have sinned and, and will sin. So sometimes our sin is similar, and, and sometimes it's different than other people's, but we all sin. And then number two, that we're all equally under judgment, or we equally deserve a penalty for sin. Of course, if we're making the Christian-non-Christian distinction, what we would say is that all sin deserves penalty, but the penalty for the Christian has been taken out on Christ, that Jesus died for the sin of his church, that he died to forgive us. Maybe if we're talking to someone who is not a believer, we're presenting that to them that Jesus would like to forgive their sin. But just the same, it comes from a place where there's a, a level playing field, if you will. 
that we all sin and that all sin deserves judgment. Now, keep that in mind as we read the next few verses. Verse 26 and 27 says this, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships with those who are, that are, um, exchange, excuse me, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27, and men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So Paul goes from all sin and idolatry and the, the, de, the deserving penalty for all sin to an example or two examples of sin where women have relations, he says, with other women, or men have relations with other men. In other words, he's talking about same-sex activity. And he's giving an example of a sin that was pretty pronounced in Rome and that was starting to become common in the church in Rome. So he's dealing with a particular issue. Just like same-sex activity or same-sex attraction or transgenderism, gender dysphoria, things like that, get a lot of attention in the church Oftentimes, passages like this are used to single them out as if that sin or those sins or a particular brand of sin is worse than, is worse than some other kind of sin. Now, if you think that or if you've heard that or if you experienced that, uh, hang on to that while we read the next few verses, right? So verse 27 through 31 It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So Paul goes on to explain other sins, identify other sins in the church in Rome. And he uses examples like envy or gossip. Now, those are pretty pronounced in any church. In fact, I I don't know of any person who's never dealt with envy or who has never gossiped, even slandered other people. There's another one mentioned. How about if if you're a child now or if you've ever been, of course, disobedient to parents. How many children have ever grown up without disobeying their parents? I'm going to guess zero. And so all these sins are identified. And so the big banner conversation is that all sin, all unrighteousness deserves a penalty, the penalty of sin that God would uncork his wrath on all sin. And then this definition of sin as trading in worship of the creator for worship of created things. Now, that could be worship of identity. In other words, who I am versus someone else. It could be worship of money. It could be worship of sexuality. All those things fit into worshiping created things. It doesn't matter that God created humanity and, and, and sexuality. Just because God created them doesn't mean you can't do them in sinful ways. Right? You can hurt another human being, you can also pursue sexuality in a way that is not glorifying to God. Then there's things like money and, and pride and ego, all these things that can be sin, that are sin, excuse me. And so what God is saying, or excuse me, what Paul is writing to the church, what God is saying on, on, through Paul, is that there's a lot of sin going on in the church. There's a lot of ways you can sin, and that all of them deserve a penalty. Now again, 
Paul's not isolating one kind of sin, same-sex sin. He's talking about many, the things that are pronounced in this church. So he begins from this place that all sin deserves judgment. He moves to a place of a definition of sin that we all are guilty of. I'm guilty of, you the listener are, people in the church, people outside the church. And then he gives examples. And he's not isolating one sin over another sin. In fact, he gives a long list. And you're hard-pressed to not find yourself somewhere in that list. Now he goes on in verse 32 and he says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now those such things, gossip, slander, disobedience, foolishness, faithlessness, sexual sin, same-sex sin, other sin, whatever. Those who practice such things deserve to die. He says, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There's one more sin available, and that's giving approval to those who practice them. He says, listen, not only do you do them, but you approve of those who do them, right? You champion sin. And so when we're asked this question, how do I, how do I tell someone they're sinning and, and call them to repentance, but not do it in a way that comes across as judgmental or superior? Well, here's what we would see in Romans. You are judging what is right or wrong, but you're not judging it. You're allowing Scripture to judge it. If I say this over here is sin, and that is not sin, but I'm, I'm rooting that in Scripture, I'm allowing Scripture to be the judge, then I might be viewed as judgmental, but it's probably going to be more about my approach, my speech, the way I do it, uh, rather than the fact that I'm calling something sin. Now, it could be not very well received, and, and that it might not be, it might be delivered well and still not well received, is what I'm trying to say. But, most of the time, the reason that a person comes across as judgmental or superior is because they think they are. They are judgmental. They, they find themselves as superior. Folks that are in the church that are, that are not gay, that don't struggle with same-sex attraction, sometimes come across as judging or being superior to those who do struggle with that. The same thing is true of gender dysphoria. People that don't have that oftentimes come across as judgmental and superior to those who struggle with it. You can say something is sin. You, you can approach something as not God's best for that person, not God's best at all. You can call sin, sin, and in need of redemption and, and focus and point to the cross of Christ as the outcome, as the solution, as the, the healing, redeeming factor that they need or that I need. But if you do it from a place where everything is level, all sin is deserving of judgment, and that we all sin, that I am sinful, that all of us are sinful, and that all of us need a Savior, even if the difference is I've, I've found that Savior in Jesus, and maybe the person I'm talking to hasn't, then we're not being superior we're being one of humanity, one person who needs redemption just like another. But we can speak to what is sin and what is not sin. So recently I met with a woman who shared with me that uh, she had had attraction to women uh, for many years since she was a teenager. And we talked about what the Bible says about that. And her, one of her comments she made near the end of it was that she believes that God's okay with her having sex with another woman because God wants her to be happy. 
Well, I, I think God does want her to be happy, yeah. But God wants her to be holy more than he wants her to be happy. And God would define her happiness, I believe, in terms of holiness. That she won't be happy pursuing something that is not God's best for her. That I won't be happy pursuing something that is sin, not God's best for me. We look back at Scripture, and, and when we see things that are contrary to our lives, and, and we call ourselves to change, or when we see something that's contrary to someone we love's lives, their sin, and we want to call them to change, our approach matters if we are being or acting superior or judgmental. It probably won't be well-received. But when we come from a place of we all need redemption, we all need help, we all have hope found in Christ, and that sin drags us away from that, drags us off of true happiness, true joy, true fulfillment in God, and that God's best is always what is most fulfilling for us, then we're not only not being superior, not being judgmental, but we are being loving. Then we're talking about what God's best is for all of us, and we're doing so rooted in Scripture. And so how do we talk to people, non-believers or believers? The question came in about non-believers, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Rob will be back. We're going to talk about sharing our stories and weaving the gospel into our lives and how to share that with others. Uh, but in the meantime, how do we call sin sin and yet not repel people, but rather show them the love of Christ? And I would say these three things, understanding that all of us are sinful, uh, understanding that my sin is equal to another's sins. It's not their sin is greater than my sin, or my sin is even greater than their sin. But sin is sin. And that all sin is needed. Uh, it needs the gospel, needs the redemption of Christ. That the solution is the same for all of us as well. That in Christ we find our hope, our healing, our redemption, our future, and our joy. Jesus is always the answer. And when we find ourselves equally in need of the answer and share that with others, we find that we can even talk about their sin and, and their need for Jesus in a way that is winsome. Thank you for listening today. Wherever you listen to your podcast, would you subscribe to us? We release new episodes every Tuesday. Next week, Rob will be back and we will be covering how to share your story and share the gospel inside of your story and how to share God with others. Would you leave us a review wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and let others know what you think about our podcast. Share it with others if you would. And if you, want, if you have a question you want to submit to us, you can email us at, at, excuse me, at questions at generations.email. Again, that's questions at generations.email. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to tackle some new questions if you have them. Until then, God bless you and thank you. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.